In the beginning, the son was Eloah. The son of El was both with El, and the son of El was Eloah. On any given day, I wake up at 5 a.m., sit down in my office, and either turn to the news or check my email, not to mention spending time in prayer. As you can obviously imagine, I never really know what I'll be facing. This week in particular has been a physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining one. It was Tuesday morning when I woke up to an email from a desperate widow, or a recent widow. Her husband had just committed suicide. Their children were home at the time. The two of them had gotten into an argument. She asked that they step outside so that the children wouldn't have to overhear. He then pulled out a gun, held it to his head, and she didn't get very far in her pleas before he pulled the trigger. She was still trying to contain the blood within a towel when the paramedics arrived. She had written to me during the middle of the night, probably around three in the morning, desperately looking for a Torah observant minister who would be willing to speak at the funeral. But there was a catch. She didn't want someone who would quote from Paul. Turns out I was the only person whom she could find who, by reputation, didn't quote from Paul. She had remembered me from a couple of years ago when the Paul debate was raging in the Torah community. There was a slight hurdle in so much that she lived 350 miles north in Virginia from where I'm at in Charleston. Now, growing up as a pastor's son, I would regularly hear from other ministries that after a lifetime of funerals, it was often the one suicide funeral that was their most difficult. So here I was, having never preached at a funeral before. I, get, I guess it was the most high way of telling me I needed to pull up my big boy pants and girdle my loins like a man. Wouldn't be taking the toddler train to this casket. The decision, however, was an easy one. In Torah, we are commanded to care for the widows and the orphans and also bury the dead. I should probably mention, if I haven't already, that they had six children with a seventh on the way. And so I drove up there not knowing what to expect or feel, let alone say. The moment I pulled up to the cemetery, my heart collapsed. The widow had been stoic all week when I was speaking to her on the phone. Probably just shock. After all, she had a husband to bury. But I saw her with her children, performing her duties as a mother. Her children needed her physical and emotional support. But who was there to support her? Nobody, really. No family arrived. No friends arrived. No fellow, fellow Torah observants. Her husband's, or excuse me, her dead husband's brother and wife arrived, but that was it. No parents, nobody else. Seeing the family, though, the widow as well as her six children wearing their tassels brought me immediate joy. They were living it out. They looked at me and saw my tassels, and though I didn't really know what I, I didn't really know what I offered them, the widow told me afterwards that just knowing somebody else who held the same convictions arrived brought her such, uh, brought her such relief and comfort. And FYI, they were flat earthers too. So we had a lot in common. The widow had been trying to hold it together all week. I should mention that this was a Navy funeral, complete with a gun salute. When they started firing those rifles right over our heads too, um, that I found a little concerning because the thought of the military pointing rifles at me is a little too real at the moment. I looked over at the widow and was like, here we go. You could see her eyes swelling up. 
And then when they folded the American flag and handed it to her, she just let loose and started weeping. The reality of what had happened had definitely caught up to her if it hadn't already. Now, it was 15 degrees out. There's pileups of snow. I went out and bought new slacks for the funeral. I was wearing nice shoes and a tie, looking pretty slick. But I also had an ugly green jacket on because my long coat was pulled down from the attic and needed to go to the dry cleaner. There's no way that I wanted to wear that while speaking at the funeral. And so uh, I took off my ugly green jacket. The funeral staff told me afterwards that I did a great job, but they also thought I was nuts for removing my jacket in 15 degree uh, snow. And <laughs> I was, I was, I told my administrative staff, but I was kind of like Michael Keaton and Batman, you know, when he says, you know, you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. It was cold, by, and by the time I put my jacket back on, my body temperature had dropped considerably. But that was it. Guns, folded flag, caps. Nobody else spoke. It was just me trying to comfort the family with words from David and Solomon and also from Yahusha. I prayed. I hugged the widow. And then we all drove off our separate ways, wondering if my efforts did anything to help in the life of this grieving family. Her greatest concern was that her children would turn away from the truth of Torah after experiencing something like this. It was a long trip home. And of course, anybody who's been around cosmology this week, particularly my fellow administrators, knows there were other things that went down. I was emotionally drained. I let it all loose. And an administrator is oddly missing in action. We still don't know what happened to her. And the Millennial Kingdom controversy over the last two through three days was the icing on the cake. But I can truly say today was a Sabbath rest. I feel rested, and believe it or not, despite all the physical, emotional, and spiritual hurdles, the week feels like a victory. It was a week to remember, a good week. It really was. Joy is hidden in sorrow, and sorrow in joy. Sometimes, when the two wheel together as one, they move as a beautiful and graceful waltz. So, Shabbat Shalom from under the dome. This is the Diaspora of Yasharel. We're a Torah-pursuant community, as you all should know, seeking to obey our Father's commands in the testimony of Yehusha. I'm excited once again to be joined by my fellow Hebrews, Michael and Rob, or Rob and Michael. I think we're coming from three states, uh, so I hear uh, this week. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with this, where we're positioned week by week, but I'm still in Charleston, Rob's still in Florida, and Michael is uh, apparently in the Springfield, Missouri area today, or the Nixa, Missouri area. It's exciting to see all of you here attending as well. Tonight, we will be going through the Hebrew Gospel of John chapter 18 and Hebrew Revelation chapter 8. It should be a really good study. But before we delve in, I didn't, um, I didn't ask this of Robin Michael, but Robin Michael, did you, did you have anything from your week that you wanted to share? I know I just sprung this on you guys. If not, we can just start. Well, I was actually going to open my John commentary, so I guess I can do it now. Um, do this before that. So I wanted to encourage, I felt the Ruach telling me to encourage Brother Noel tonight. And um, so, you know, I wanted to thank him. I short, I'm sure I speak for everyone in the chat that we appreciate this community. He has provided um, his pursuit of truth, no matter the consequences, is admirable. But uh, I just want to say, most importantly, his dedication to always bringing everyone back to the Father's Torah no matter how they got here. He writes about so many different topics, but brings everyone back to the eternal truth of the Most High. Praise Yah. Um, and I just want to finish it by saying, I personally consider him a brother or friend, and I'm glad to be part of this journey with everyone here. Thank you. 
Thank you, Michael. That was a well-thought-out speech. Um, <laughs> I really wasn't expecting that. That was good. Thank you. Um, and anyway, so let's go ahead and get started, and then I'm going to hand it over to Rob to start reading from the Hebrew Gospel of John. I actually don't know um, how we're dividing it this week, so I'm going to find that out myself because I didn't check our notes on that. Would anybody here, after I, after I spilled my guts out, would anyone here like to open us in prayer tonight? Any volunteers? Sure, I'll do it. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Most High Elohim, Yahuwah Adonai, we just come before you now, and we thank you for all that you are accomplishing this week that we do and don't see. We thank you for the community that we have here with all these Hebrews and He sisters. <laughs> and we just thank you, Father, that you are just guiding this time. We thank you for all that you're going to reveal to us, and we just ask that our commentary, our time spent, our questions, our discussion, all just continues to point to you and what you're doing through each and every one of us. Please just bless this time. Bless Noel, Rob, and Michael as they share, and just let all who hear your word be blessed as well. In Yahushua's name, amen. I'm trying to get he, um, Hebrews and Shebrews to stick. Yeah, Shebrews, so. Kaylee just told me that. So I'm okay with Hebrew. I'm okay with Hebrews or Hebrews. I like Hebrews better, but it's got to be Shebrews. So Shebrews just doesn't sound that great. So and anyway, sisters made even less sense. All right, so I'm going to hand it over to Rob, and he's going to be reading from John 18 verses 1 through 27. Thank you for providing that list, Rob. Yes, thank you. And uh, yeah, regarding my week has been an extremely busy week uh, beyond all the other ones. So I'll, I won't have as much information this week as I normally do. So I, I pray that uh, you bear with that and that the Spirit leads in our conversations. So Yochanan, chapter 18. When Yeshua had said these things, he went with his Talmudim beyond the river, which is called Kidron. Where the garden was into which he entered, he and his Talmudim. Now Yehuda, who wanted to deliver him, knew that place, for he oftentimes went there with his Talmudim. So when Yehuda had gathered many people and the servants of the rulers and the perishim, they came there with lamps and torches and with weapons, weapon utensils. Yeshua, knowing all the things about to come over him, went out and said to them, What are you seeking? So they said, Yeshua of Netzerit. Then Yeshua said to them, I am he. Yehuda who delivered him was with them. So when he, heard, when, he, when he said to them, I am he, they staggered back and fell backwards. When he asked again, what are you seeking? And they said, Yeshua of Netzarit. Yeshua answered, I have already said to you, I am he. Thus, if you seek me, let these go, in order that the, wor the word would be fulfilled which he said, of all those whom you gave me, not one of them is missing. Then Shimon Kepha who had a sword, took it out and smote the servant of the ruler and cut off his right ear for him. 
and the servant's name was Melech. Then Yeshua said to Kepha, Return your sword into its sheath. You do not want the death which the Father sent me to bear. So the company brought him, and the servants of Yehudim took the servants of Yehudim took Yeshua and bound him, and brought him to Cana, the wife of Caiapha, who was the ruler in that year. And Caiapha is he who gave counsel to the Yehudim that it is necessary that one man should die for the people so that the people would not follow after him. <clears throat> now Simon Kepha and another Talmud went after Yeshua, and that Talmud was a son of the ruler's house. Therefore he went into the palace of the ruler with Yeshua. But Kepha stayed outside at the door. Then that certain Talmud, who was the, a son of the ruler's house, who went in with Yeshua, went out and spoke to the gatekeeper, so she brought Kepha inside. Then the maidservant who was keeping the door said to Kepha, And you, are you not one of the servants of this man? So Kepha answered and said, I am not of them. Now the servants and the attendants were standing before the fire, for it was cold at that time, and were warming themselves by it. And Kepha was standing with them and was warming himself. So the ruler asked Yeshua of his Talmudim and of his doctrine. Yeshua answered him, I spoke openly in the world, and I always taught in the house of the assembly, and in the sanctuary where the Yehudim were assembled. I spoke nothing in secrecy. Why are you asking me? Ask those who restrain me what I have spoken to them, for they know the words which I have spoken. And when Yeshua had said these things, one of the attendants of the Yehudim smote his neck, uh, smote the neck of Yeshua Mashiach, and said to him, Do you answer the ruler so? Then Yeshua answered him, If I have spoken something wrong, do witness to me of the wrong. But if I have spoken good, why do you smite me? When Yeshua had gone, for they sent him to Caiapha, the ruler, with his hands bound, and, Sh and Sh Shimon, Kepha, stood warming himself, then they said to Kepha, And you, are you not one of the Talmudim? But Kepha denied and said, I am not. Then one of the female slaves of the ruler, the wife of the brother of him whose ear, whose ear Kepha cut off, said to Kepha, But I saw you in the garden with him. Then he denied it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. That is the ending for this section, and we'll pass it over to Michael for further discussion. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Um, so I this is these John, these later John chapters are just you know I'm not getting as much as I was in the earlier one so like usual we'll split it up I only have three in the first part I have a decent amount in the second part and I also just want to highlight that we're gonna ponder in our chat today earlier had some great questions that I would love to discuss after this these John this John chapter so hopefully we'll have plenty of time to do that I think that the chat and the group will, will love those um, so real quick the first part um, Number three, I'm going to read that, read the Hebrew. So when Yehuda had gathered many people 
and the servants of the rulers and the parashim, they came there with their lamps and torches and with weapon utensils. Um, so I was reading the commentary that, that basically said the consensus was there was anywhere between 300 and 600 soldiers arresting Yeshua. At, at that time, arresting Yeshua. Um, that's a lot of people for one man. Um, number 13 is the next one. I'm going to read both. So, and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Cephas, which was the high priest that same year, and in the Hebrew, and brought him to Shana, the wife of Kepha, Kepha, who was the ruler in that year. Did you guys notice that? The sex of the individual changed. So in the Greek, it was Anast, father-in-law to Caiaphas. And in the Hebrew, it's Shana, the wife of Caiaphas. I don't know what to make of that. I just wanted to point out the difference between it's literally the father-in-law and then the wife in the Hebrew. There's got to be something more. And I, I'm pretty sure Noah will talk more about that one. And finally, just on this first part, I don't have much, but uh, number 20. I'm going to read the Hebrew. Yeshua answered him, I spoke openly in the world, and I always taught in the house of the assembly and in the sanctuary where the Yahudim were assembled. I spoke nothing in secrecy. And I just want to cross-reference Isaiah 48.16. Come near to me. Listen to this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there, and now the Lord God had sent me and his spirit. But that was a great cross-reference, and I'll hand it off to Noel because I am... Don't have much stuff on that first part. Well, in the section that Rob read, interesting enough, there are two sex swaps. There is the wife of Caiaphas, but also uh, versus the father-in-law, but also the female slaves in verse 26. In the Greek, we learn that uh, it says one of the servants of the high priest being his kinsman. Now, I... I would assume that uh, a woman would not generally be called a kinsman. Maybe. I don't know. But it clearly says in verse 26 in the Hebrew, then one of the female slaves of the ruler, the, uh, and it, then it even says, specifies, the wife of the brother of him whose ear Kepha cut off. So this isn't the first time we've seen that. Going all the way back to... I don't remember if it was the first chapter, but definitely by the second chapter of Yochanan, we saw at the, the wedding of Cain of Galilee that the, the person hit, um, hitting the wedding was a woman, and it wasn't in the Greek. And that actually was an interesting connection because then we see Miriam with this woman, and we gathered the idea that they were family, which means that the person getting married was very likely close kin as well. So there was one other instance I was trying to remember when it was, but there was a lot of sex swapping here in the the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan to the Greek, and I don't I don't know what's going on with that. Now, going back to what you were saying, uh, Chana or or Hana, the wife of um, Caiaphas. So in the Greek, it says that his name is Annas. All right, in history. Now, historically, this so-called high priest was named Ananus. Now, maybe it's the same as Annas. I don't know. I kind of think that there was... I, I don't know what the agenda was of the person trans, translating into Greek. Uh, it it could have been a possible translation error. I'm just going to throw that out there. So, 
I found that interesting. Okay, so let's start back on the beginning of this chapter. Some of the, the many things that I've been looking for, and I haven't been talking about a lot of them, but I am always curious about historical landmarks in the land of Judea or Yasharel in the Bible, according to what we see today. One thing that I have found interesting, and I would like to talk to some of the people who do read Hebrew, is that a lot of the, the city names, um, they don't, I, I, I'm trying to find records of them and I can't find them in the Hebrew. I find the Greek, um, but I haven't found the Hebrew. And I'm like, well, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. Here we see in, in verse 1 that it says, and it says it in, this, in the Greek too, this isn't something unique to the Hebrew, but it just talks about how Yahushua crosses the river, which is called Kidron. And he goes across the Kidron Valley um, up to the garden. And I'm always curious about this because I'm like, okay, there was a, gar there was a river there. And it makes sense that at the bottom of the valley there would be a river. Maybe the, the, the weather was very different back then. But I don't see a river in the valley. I've been to the valley twice, uh, or at least I've been, I've stayed in Israel twice for an extended period. And I go to the valley many times. There's not a river there today, and I'd be curious where is the road? They had to have a road, a bridge, something. I would like to see that, and I'm not saying it's not there. Those are the kind of things I do think about a lot. Another little observation I found is that a difference between the Hebrew and the Greek is that in the Greek, when the uh, when Judas or Yehuda and the the temple uh, servants and the guards, when they come to get him in the garden, he says in the Greek, "Whom seek ye?" or "Whom are you seeking?" In this, it doesn't. He doesn't say whom. He says, "What are you seeking?" I, I didn't really know what to make of that. I thought that was a little interesting. And he, in fact, he says it twice. He says, "What are you seeking?" It's it's just it's these little tiny you know differences that that it gives a, a bit of a, a, a paradigm shift. He says it again in verse 7. So in verse five, uh, verse 4 and then verse 7. Another thing that I really liked in here, and it reads the, pretty much the same in both, but in verse 8, when um, they, they say, uh, they, he says, what are you seeking? They say, Yeshua of Nazareth. And he says, um, I have already said to you, I am he. Thus, if you seek me, let these go. And I, I really like that because it, it seems like a suggestive command. He's actually commanding them that he he lets his Talmudim go. This is after they've already fallen on their butt after he said, you know, I am. And they like fall backwards and then they repeat the questions and interrogation again. Um, but I just thought it was almost, I always imagine that kind of like a little Jedi mind trick, you know, like, you know, I, I mean, Star Wars is a terrible analogy, guys. You know, you guys know I'm not upholding Star Wars, but you know, like, you know, he little wave of the hand. He's like, um, um, He's like, you know, let these people go, you know. And I just always like that. And then they let him go. They, they, I, I mean, assuming that he knew that they were coming, they would have arrested the disciples too. And it was just, he gives, like, it shows that he is fully in command of the situation, right? Like, they're coming to take his life, and all he had to do was command and be like, nope, you're not going to take me tonight. It's not my time. And they wouldn't have. And so here he gives the suggestive command, you're not going to take my disciples. And they don't. I thought that was pretty cool. The next thing we see is, um, and I'll hand it. I'll hand it back over. I have a lot of observations here. I think, but I really like this one here in verse eleven, and it reads very differently between the Hebrew and the Greek. So I'll read the Greek first. Then Jesus Yeshua said to Peter, "Oh yeah." So this is the context. Is you know, you know uh, the Peter the Zealot. You know, Kepha. He takes out a sword, cuts off the ear. 
And Yahusha turns to, to Kepha and he says, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? So in the Greek, it's making it out like, like uh, Kepha is getting in the way of doing what he's supposed to do. Like Kepha is not supposed to cut off the ear because, you know, now he's going to start a rebellion that's going, the disciples are going to rise up and keep Yahushua from coming to do what he's going to do. But it doesn't read that way at all in the Hebrew. It's completely opposite. This is what he says. Then Yeshua, then Yeshua said to Kepha, return your sword into its sheath. And here, here's the, here it is. You do not want the death which the Father sent me to bear. So, wow. So, after commanding them suggestively that you don't really want my disciples, you really, you know, they're, they're to go free. Then Kepha's screwing it up. You know, he's like, ah, oh, he's coming out with his sword. He's going to cut him down and that kind of stuff. He's like, dude, dude, I just got you off the hook. Like, seriously, like, you do not want what is coming to me. And he's actually comparing saying that he would die the same death, the same crucifixion, the same, you know, um, you know beating, all that. Like, he was going to get it. And interestingly enough, you know, we'll get later to John where he asked him to stretch out his arms from that kind of stuff. But that was a really cool contrast. Knowing what we do with Kepha, how he appears to have died a very similar death of crucifixion, according to what we read in scripture, what's foreshadowed. So with that, I'm going to hand it back to Rob. Thank you, Noel. I, you covered uh, some good stuff that I was going to cover, so that's great. I... Um... I'll touch on on these one one I'll start with the very very first verse uh we see here the repetition where Yeshua spends his quiet times in a garden, and it's this re repetitious time that he spends alone and praying to the Father, talking with the father and i I think uh we should really think about that for our personal selves. In if we have a garden or uh, uh, outside a place that's peaceful, quiet in nature, I think these are, are great places to commune with the Father. So I just want to mention that. Uh, next is uh, right on right on uh, verse three. We get the picture here that the uh, the the people, you know, this massive crowd of many people and the servants of the ruler, which would be. Uh, I would take the servants of the rulers of, if if it's a ruler, these servants could be actually ranking people if they're a servant. If you have a king, and the servants of the king could actually be knights and so forth. So it doesn't mean they're like peasants. Uh, so we see the servants of the rulers and the parashim coming with lamps, torches, and uh, basically pitchforks, uh, as if this is like a Frankenstein scene, so, so to speak. But here they are coming and gathering uh, uh, to to bring him in uh, to the ruler, and I just find that very interesting that they had to amass that amount of people. Uh, it really never says any details as to why, but uh, I can only imagine. Now him saying the words "I am He" and them falling backwards, just like Noel said, uh, I think that I think that was a uh, a a physical thing that they could feel and to shake them so that when Yeshua does a Jedi mind trick, as you said, as he does this suggestion, so, so let them go, 
uh, I think that probably resonated in them that, uh, well, we can get him. Let's not mess with his, his Talmudim since, uh, you know, we just staggered backwards just by him talking. So, uh, yeah, I agree with that, that that was uh, a, a good power play um, to, to, to change their hearts in that side. And then when Kifa does the, uh, the sword play, cutting off the ear, uh, Yeshua, Yeshua doing damage control. Uh, we don't read it here, but we read that he, you know, heals the ear uh, of this man. And then he makes that comment that Noel read, you do not want the death which the Father sent me to bear. Now, depending on how you read that, uh, you know, is he, is he talking about the sin of the world? Or is he talking about the the crucifixion itself. So I leave that up to you, but I presume I, I, I read that as the crucifixion. You don't want this, this death that uh, I am to bear uh, regarding what's about to, about to take place that next day. Then my comment on Shannon, the, the wife of Kepha. I mean, it, it does say in the notes that it could translate, I guess, as the father of the wife of Kepha. I did not look into that deeper. Uh, I did not, um, uh, wasn't able to go go into that to c clarify what that Hebrew is. I was going to consult with Ronit on that, but uh, that was not something I was able to do this week. And the Talmudim, uh, we see that the Talmudim go get Yeshua, I'm, I'm sorry, we see the people come and get Yeshua, and they first take him in this story, uh, in this chapter here, we see them first taken to the father of the wife of Caiaphas, uh, if that is how it's translated. And then from there, they bring him to, to Caiaphas, as we will read, and then to Pilate. So it's an interesting progress how the crowd, the servants of the ruler, bring him first to this father of the wife of Caiaphas, then they bring him to Caiaphas, then they bring him to Pilate. So... That's something I just want to point out as we're reading through this, if you didn't catch it. And then another point before I hand it over to Michael with what, with what I have on this, this uh, section is Yeshua talking about he spoke nothing in secret. So everything that is being talked about him, he has proclaimed in the synagogues, in the streets, and into uh, the areas where people were gathered. So there was nothing uh, uh, that he was saying that was in secret. Now, obviously, he, we know that he speaks to his disciples and uh, explains the things that he spoke, uh, especially primarily the parables and what those parables meant. But everything he spoke, he spoke openly uh, to the peoples. So that, that's all I have for, for now, and I'll pass it over to Michael. And I'm going to pass it right back to Noel because I'm done with the first part. I don't have much. Did we lose Noel? Or is he on mute? I'm here. Is it my turn? Yeah, I didn't have much on the first part. I had way more on the other two parts. I thought I had more time. I stepped out uh, to get some naughty chocolate. So, uh, anyways, I'm glad Rob touched on the the things that were said in secret because I, I was kind of thinking about that because it's like he did speak openly but he spoke in such a way to 
he, he threw puzzles out at people, riddles, you know, in the dark that the people that were in the dark didn't necessarily understand. And they were geared in such a way for the people who were intended to understand them, you know, ultimately understand them. But I'm not sure if Rob did cover this. So, because again, yeah, I was, I was out, uh, I was slipping in the corner, you know, pulling out my, my stash of chocolate. Uh, <laughs> it's been that kind of week. And there's a difference between the Greek and the Hebrew here, again, in this, in this verse. Because in verse 21, in the Greek, it says, Yahushua is responding to them. He's saying, why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. And then they, they strike him after that. Interestingly here, they, they strike him on the, it says that in the Greek that they strike him with the palm of their hand. And it doesn't really say where you just, you figure they strike him on his face. But here it says they strike him on the neck. Which I thought that was a little odd. I was I was thinking like a karate chop or something to the neck, you know, like what that looks like. I was trying to figure that out, or if that was like a figure of speech. But anyways, um, he he says here, he says here in the Hebrew, he says, "Why are you asking me? Ask those who restrain me." So you you see the response to the person who struck him here in the neck that the people who were holding him knew exactly what he was saying. He's not telling them go out and ask other people. He's like, even those people who were holding him knew everything that he spoke. So I thought that was a little interesting. One other observation I had in this passage, actually a couple more that I'll talk on, is when he's, when Kepha is sitting around the fire, and these are just the little tiny touches that I really like about the Hebrew better. I've really, you know, some, some chapters have been choppier than others. We've kind of got swayed back and forth. Overall, I love the Hebrew text better. I think it flows better. I understand it better. Just and little flourishes here and there. And here's one where Kepha is sitting around the fire. And in the Greek, the it says, Then saith the damsel. So they get the, the female correct here. It's a, a woman. They kept the door unto, uh, unto Peter. Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? Or you might say Talmudim. Right in Hebrew, you would say Talmudim. Well, it doesn't say that in the Hebrew. He doesn't call him the Talmudim. She says, um, "And you are you not one of the servants of this man?" Now you say, "Big deal." What's the big deal? The difference between the Talmudim and a servant? Well, the the deal is is that it identified this woman as a servant of the temple priest, and so it's interesting how she's identifying, you know, her position to the, the, her employers, to his position as to what her employers are doing to you know, his master right now. Just kind of interesting that a servant would identify him as a servant versus a Talmudim. I just thought that was kind of interesting, a little things to pick up. The last thing that I want to talk on, or do I want to hold off on this? Give me a second here, guys. I think I'm going to hold off on this. Yeah, let's go ahead and... and I think read the next section. Rob, did you have anything else? Yeah. Uh, one thing was uh, verse 14, where we see that one of the Talmudim was from the house of Caiapha, uh, the ruler that year. So, so what, what it appears to me, and let, let me know if you guys agree, that one of the Talmudim was of the house of Caiapha. So one of... I take that as one of Yeshua's Talmudim was from or related or part of this 
the House of Caifa, so he had access uh, to that. So it, it doesn't, at least in this chapter, does not say that. I didn't know if you guys were researched and find out, find, found out if there was a specific uh, uh, Talmudim named that or if it, it just goes on the named. So that was one of the last things that I wanted to bring up and see if there was a, any consensus on that. Well, before we get into that, before we get into the consensus, and, and let me just bring up one final thing as well. I'm going to quote here. I did find what I wanted to cover. John 11, verses 50 through 51. I wanted to uh, give you guys a, a shot at maybe bringing this up. We actually read this. Now, I'm not going to go through the Hebrew. I think, if I recall, they were pretty similar in the Greek and Hebrew. We read this about five weeks ago. And this is, this is regarding Caiaphas. And we kind of made a footnote of it at the time, and we didn't really comment on what he's doing here. But he says, Neither do you consider that it's better for us that one man die for the people than that the entire nation should perish. And this is Caiaphas speaking. All right. And John then puts in the, the footnote in the next verse, but he did not say this from himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Yahuwah or maybe uh, Yeshua was about to die for the nation. Well, we see the same thing happening here in ver uh, chapter 18, verse 14. And he says, And Caiaphas is he who gave counsel to the Yahudim that it is necessary that one man should die for the people so that the people would not follow after him. Well, this is really strange, and people have commented on this for a long time. Why is Caiaphas prophesying about what Yahushua is going to do? And if he's prophesying, why is he following through with the very prophecy that would really condemn him? And there's an interesting notes given i don't have the actual quote in front of me but josephus writes or he josephus claimed i think it was in the war of the jews that the high priest acquired the gift of prophecy simply by virtue of his position in the priesthood now we could we could say well that's nice that josephus said that just because josephus says it doesn't mean it's true just because the jews believe it doesn't mean it's true but Yochanan seems to say that. He seems to push that out there. So it's really interesting that, that here we see prophecy being spoken by a man in the priesthood, the high priest, who hated the son of the Most High. He hated him, he, and he put him to death. And that, when I was thinking about that this week, it really caused me to, uh, put me to pause. Now, we see Yahuwah in the, in the Old Testament. It's in First uh, or Second Kings where he sends lying spirits into the prophets of uh, Ahab and Jezebel, and they, you know, they, they give false prophecies, and Yahuwah sends them. We see prophets like uh, Balaam, who was kind of a prophet of Yahuwah in a very strange way. And, and here, again, so we see a man who did not show fruit, as we would say, and he correctly prophesied. And that's something maybe we can all discuss. What does that mean in connotations in the world we live in? Can people uh, correctly prophesy if they do not show fruit? You know, because we always say, well, if they don't show fruit, then we don't need to listen to them. But it's like, well, well, and I guess we don't need to listen to them because they don't show fruit. But can they prophesy correctly? Can something come from Yahuwah that, they, that he speaks through them? That's worth considering and talking about. So just wanted to throw that out there. That's all I got. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. That can someone prophesy 
who is not perhaps in a, um, a highly held um, position, if you, if you will, uh, amongst the, the brethren. I would say that, uh, yes, it is possible because we, we will see this all the time. That the, the the challenge is having the wisdom to discern it because we we see okay a, a quick example would be like uh, you know the, the the some of the people prophesying or or if well if you want to d describe prophesying as future events then people stating certain things that they foresee happening in our future whether you want to look at um, you know this outbreak this uh the vax whatever whatever you want to, to call that or any anything else that someone might talk about that actually comes to pass in some form or nature that i think it's it's it's, it's all of those things that we hear and listen to can we discern through that what makes the most sense what is possible and then seeing it actually take place and then you're like wow that uh, someone spoke about that and and it happens doesn't mean that person is now declared a prophet uh, just like uh, Caiaphas or Kepha mentioned, you know, makes this declaration. That one particularly is something that is being said that is going to be fulfilled. So not everything he says is going to be fulfilled, but just that one. So I, I think it's it's more of a comment being made that what some people say will come to pass. Not everything and not everyone, but there are things that people will say that come to pass. What do you take out of that? I don't know, but that goes back to the whole point of being careful what you declare in this world. Your words uh, mean things. So, so I don't know, but I'm kind of just speaking to that as general thought. And I don't know if you guys have anything a little bit more concrete. So Dave threw Acts two seventeen in here, and then Michael threw one in too. But uh, let me first quote from what David put in here. So Acts says, and it shall be in the last days, says Elohim. Now, I'm not sure what the context of this is. I don't know if this is, I think this might be Kepha speaking, but I can't recall. But, and it shall be in the last days, says Elohim, that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the key here is on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So what does that mean there? I'm curious what that means on all flesh. Is this speaking just of this set apart? Or does all flesh mean all flesh that his spirit is being poured out on? Okay, so that's something to consider. And then Michael writes Proverbs 1, 20 through 23. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the broad places. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. For anyone who doesn't understand the context of where uh, Michael and Rob's thought process on, on this as well as my own is that wisdom is the Ruach HaKodesh. How long, you simple ones, would you love simplicity and shall scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Turn up my reproof. See, I pour out my spirit on you. I make my words known to you. So, uh, Ponderer says, my experience, God used Joel Osteen when I was seriously depressed. I think God can speak to us anywhere through anyone. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Well, when in that particular scenario would be uh, someone talking positively uh, in even using scripture with that to help people is if, if they're using, even, even if they're not using the word of, of Yah, 
they're talking positive things for a healthier actions in your in your well-being then yes it, it's it's always a positive thing for for a person but if but if a person's t- using the scriptures in a positive manner in helping people you know the word is the word the word is powerful whether Balaam speaking it or whether uh, a Talmudim speaking it it's the word so it's just being careful that the one speaking w- w- the word is quoting it properly as we see with the the, the the banter between Yeshua and Hasatan with the temptation, you know, where Hasatan was not quoting it properly and, and Yeshua was. So that's my opinion. Um, now, you, did you guys have any thoughts on the spirit being poured out on all flesh? If it's the Ruach, it's only in Israel. So that would, it's all of Israel. Sure. Perfect point. I love that. Thanks, Michael. That's my thought, too. Yep. Yeah. I didn't want to lead the jury. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, or, the, or the witness, I should say. You do want to lead the jury. I take that back. I didn't want to lead the witness. So, <laughs> um, should I read uh, the rest of John? Please. Sure. Okay. All right. This is Hebrew uh, John. Chapter 18, starting on 28, and we'll finish the rest of the chapter. And they led Yeshua from Caiaphas into the palace, but in order that they should not become unclean, that they could eat the Pesach. Therefore Pilate went out to them outside and asked, What witness do you do against this man? So they said, If this man was not evil in his deeds, he would not have been brought to you. And Pilate said to him, You lay hold of him and judge him according to your law. Then the Yehudim said to him, It is not fitting for us to put any man to death, in order that the word of Yeshua Mashiach should become true, which he clearly spoke that he would die with that death. Then Pilate again went into the praetorium and called Yeshua and said to him, Are you the king of Yasharel? So Yeshua answered, saying, Do you say this from yourself, or have others told you this about me? Pilate answered, So am I a Yehudi? Did did not your people and your rulers deliver you to me? What did you do? Yeshua answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If this world had been my kingdom, in truth, my servants would have resisted, that I would not be sold to the Yehudim. But now my kingdom is not of here. Then Pilate said to him, If so, are you king? Yeshua answered, You say that I am king. I, for this matter, I was born, and because of this I came to the world, to do truthful witness. Every man who is truthful obeys my words. Then Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when... When had said this, he said to them again, I do not find anything in this man. And it is custom that I release a man for you on Pesach. So do you want that I release the king of the Yehudim to you? Then all of them shouted, Do not release this man for us, but Bar Evin. And Bar Evin was a thief. And I hand it off to Noel for commentary. I dropped first John two, fifteen through seventeen in there, which says this Do not love the world nor that which is in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust of it, but the one doing the desire of Elohim remains forever. Now this came to mind, because one of the most popular phrases of all time that Yahushua said, certainly in my lifetime, I think it was probably back in the 90s, Maybe the turn of the millennium when you would see people put it on the like a sticker on the back of their trucks or the cars, not of this world. And Yahushua says in here, My kingdom is not of this world. 
And the follow-up to this is, if this world had been my kingdom, in truth, my servants would have resisted, that I would not be sold to the Yahudim. But now my kingdom is not of here. And I have to say that this is probably one of the biggest cognitive dissonance uh, verses of all time. And it took me an entire lifetime of struggling with this. I mean, I, I'm a guy, you know, I, I ran off to the army when I was 18 years old. I remember someone quoted this to me. I was, as I was going off to the army. I'm like, yeah, well, you know. And it, it's funny because it, it's like people always convince themselves. You know, you, you see like how many times people march off to war because they're fighting for the kingdom. They're doing it for God. You know, we do so many things for in his name. And, you know, we try to conquer the movie industry or we try to, you know, you know, the, the, the literature or, you know, academia or whatever, all these things. And, and it, we just really struggle with this idea that this is not his kingdom. Um, and, you know, that, that's something that every single person, I, it's something I can't tell you. Um, this, I, I can't necessarily show you. It's something that everyone has to experience for themselves. And, you know, come to the realization that this truly, I mean, you look around, this truly is not his kingdom. And this is obviously, you know, a big, you know, debate as we're going on, you know, right now with the millennial kingdom and all that, and did it happen and so on and so forth. But clearly, right now, you look at, you know, the United Nations, the United States of America, the European Union, um, you know, China, Russia, and all the people, all claiming that they're fighting for God, that they're he's on their side. You know, the famous quote by Lincoln, both sides read from the same Bible, pray to the same God, right? And it's it's one of those things that when you, you it, it's just, yeah, like I said, I can't, something that everyone has to experience to know what he truly means by this, that this kingdom is not his and that we are to not be of this world. So, um, giving, I think it's Rob's turn to comment. Yes. All right. So I'll get a little bit here. The on thirty-one, we see Pilate speaking uh, <clears throat> to to the uh, Yadin, saying, "You lay hold of him and judge him accordingly to your law." Then the Yadin said to him. Is it not fitting for us to put a man to death? And they reply to that because Pilate says right before, is this man, if this man was, if this man was not evil in his deeds, he would not have been brought to you. So his question is evil in deeds. And we see that uh, Pilate is looking at the evil in his actions. And the Yahudim are judging his actions, even though we, we know through multiple examples that we've read through John, the healings, the miracles, etc., were, were good things. And Yeshua even says, you criticize me on the, the good that I do. And it was all based on their interpretation of the Torah, uh, of him doing these things on the Shabbat, and, and so forth, things like that. So... So Pilate, we, we see from his uh, uh, discussions, he couldn't find any evil that Yeshua was actually doing. And, it was, and, and he quickly recognized that this is something on the, on the quote, religious side for the Yaudim 
and and their issues. So he brought him back to him. Then uh, I, I found it very interesting on verse thirty six, where Yeshua is talking about uh, my kingdom is not of this world. If if it is of this world, if, if this world had been my kingdom, in truth, my servants would have resisted that I would not be sold to the Yahudim. And we know, and I, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even think at this point Pilate knows about this, uh, but it, we don't know, but we know the, the, the Yahudim, they purchased this with, with uh, Judas, with the 30 pieces of silver. So that's what that reference to me, as I see when I'm speaking that. And it's being sold to the Yahudim. He wouldn't allow that, obviously, if this was his kingdom in this world. <clears throat> and then, um, then I wanted to speak on 37 regarding truth. Um, let's see here. 37 and 38, uh, where Yeshua is saying, uh, Every man who is truthful obeys my words. So here's Yeshua, and this is a this is a, a a great verse to use for anybody. Is he every man who is truthful obeys my word? So we must look at Yeshua's words very, very carefully to understand what a truthful person is in this world. And we have gone every week, week over week, about Yeshua is fully one hundred percent obedient to everything the Father says, and he just repeats himself on that. So the, 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 my analysis of John and the message Yeshua is saying is constantly, obey the Father. I mean, it's, it's just a consistent message that I pray that everyone who reads and studies John and the Word understands that. And then lastly on, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And I'll end with truth, and then I'll be done. Uh, I'll read a few verses regarding truth. We, got, uh, we read in John and then also in Psalms. Then Yeshua said to the Yahudim, uh, this is John 8, 31, 32. Uh, who he said to the Yahudim who believe in him, if you abide in my word, you will become my Talmudim in truth. And you will know the truth, and the truth will fulfill your request. Once again, obedience. If you say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and are not doing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua Mashiach, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. And then in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And uh, John 17, 14 through 19, we have, I have given them your words and the world had a report against them. I do not plead that you will take them from the world, but that you will keep them from evil. This is uh, Yeshua talking. Uh, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. He's talking to the Father. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So here again, he's, he's relating obedience to the Father and the, his word 
is truth. As you sent me in the world, so I send them in the world, and because of them, I sanctify myself in order that they may be sanctified in truth. And I'll end it with Psalms 119, 160. All of your words are truth. Every one of your righteous ordinances endures forever. Praise Yah. That I am I'm done. Your turn, Michael. All right, thank you. Um, I'm going to start on the second part of John. On, I'm going to read 31 and 32, the Hebrew. So, And Pilate said to them, You lay hold of him and judge him according to your law. Then the Yehudim said to him, It is not fitting for us to put any man to death in order that the word of Yeshua Mashiach should become true. Which he clearly spoke that he would die with, with that death. I want to talk about that the Sanhedrin could condemn a man to death, but the Roman government had to approve and execute the sentence. Jewish execution was by stoning. The Roman method was by crucifixion. And I think he had to be crucified to fulfill prophecies in Psalm 3420, where it says he protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. Um, and then also, I think it's to include both Gentiles and Jews in the responsibility for his death. Um, as Acts 4.27 says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Yeshua, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. I think that's why he had to be crucified. One of the reasons, obviously, not, not that, that he had to be crucified, um, was to, for some prophecies and then also for both camps, Gentiles and Yehuda, um, to be part of that act. Um, I'm going to skip my, my big one and get back to it, but uh, 37, and Rob kind of hit on it, so I'm going to read both. Um, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Yeshua answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was, bo was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Hebrew, then Pilate said to him, If, you, if so, are you king? Yeshua answered, you say that I am king. I, for this matter, I was born. And because of this, I came to the world to do truthful witness. Every man who is truthful obeys my words. And Noel said it on the last part that, you know, the Hebrew continually does a better job. And I would agree. And this is just another instance. Hearing my voice, you know, you can go into many different <laughs> ways on defining that. If you take the Hebrew, it's literally just obey his words. Just obey what he says. It's not that difficult. Um... Some cross-references, John 10, 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And that's why, like, like don't get discouraged when you, you're preaching the word and they're not hearing it. You know, it, his sheep hear his voice. You know, that, that's not up for you to decide. So don't get discouraged when you do that. First um, John 4, 6. We are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Again, just reiterating, obeying his voice is truthfulness. And then finally, this is a long one, and bear with me, guys. This, this could be a mess. I didn't have a lot of time to really write this in a coherent way. But uh, I want to talk about 36. So Yeshua answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If this world had been my kingdom... In truth, my servants would have resisted that I would not be sold to the Yehudim, but my kingdom is not of here. 
We'll start off with Daniel 2.44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Hallelujah. We, we agree. It's, it, the issue is when does that kingdom come down? Um, and this is not foolproof. I just started doing this word study, but I want to present it humbly. But my, my, my theory is Yeshua is a king and a priest. What if the first part is the priestly part? What if, what if the, the millennial reign is to prepare his priests for righteous judgment of the rest of the 12 tribes? The king part is later, because that's for eternity. That's when the kingdom comes down in Revelation 21. So I'm going to read the infamous verse that we know on this, chat, on this uh, server, Revelation 20. Seven, when the thousand years are completed, Hasatan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Okay, so I'm going to talk way more on that camp word. I just want to highlight the city part, you know. Most people will say that's the New Jerusalem. I, I'm not so sure. I, I can't link it exactly to that. And, you know, if you go on to the next chapter and you read it in, in context, if you believe it's in chronological order, the kingdom, that's, not, that's two separate things. The New Jerusalem and this particular city, a city is a city. To equate it to the New Jerusalem is, your, you know, you're adding to it. That, you know, that's your opinion. But I want to focus on the camp part. So I did a study on the, the word of the camp, Strong's 3925, Parambole. It means a camp, barracks, army, in battle, array. Usage, a camp, fort, castle, barracks, army, in battle, array. That's soldiers, guys. So <clears throat> I, I've already said this, but my current understanding is it possible that the thousand-year reign is for the priests and the soldiers. So... You know, the day of the Lord, you know, the big fight that, that if we are post-mill already happened. That's the soldiers and the priests. It's my take that the priests are the quote-unquote the bride, you know, his truly set apart that get to judge the 144,000, that get to judge, you know, the rest of the 12 tribes. What if the millennial reign is for that? It's for Yeshua, our high priest, to teach these others. And I want to do some word studies here. So on the word the camp. So Acts 21, 34 through 37. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be brought into the barracks. Okay, that's, that's the same word as in Revelation 20, barracks and camp. When Paul got to the stairs, it came about that he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of people kept following him, shouting, away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Again, I'm not, you know, the only thing I want to focus on is that same word for camp is barracks, and it's equating soldiers and Paul being thrown in there. That's all I want to talk about that part. Okay, so Hebrews 13, 11 through 14. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priests, I want to focus on the high priest, as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. That camp word is the same word in Revelation 20. And it's equating a high priest with the camp. 
and throwing things, throwing offerings outside the camp that are burned. Therefore Yeshua also suffered outside the gate, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood. So then let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Again, what I'm trying to say here is these two instances with the word the camp are equating soldiers and the high priest. What if that's all it is? What if that is what the millennial reigns for? Is for a, the way I describe it as a priestly training program in order to judge the 12 tribes like us. Kingdom comes down at the end. Um, if you heard my studies in Revelation 3, I talk about Smyrna and Philadelphia as those. Philadelphia is the bride. Maybe they're the priests. They, they love the law during their time. He's going to reward them for that. They were set apart. They had nothing wrong with them. Brotherly love. Smyrna, Smyrna was courageous. They actually went through 10 days of tribulation and died for them, for him. He had nothing wrong. In the Old Testament, he numbered his, his soldiers before war. I don't know. That's my take on it. What, what if the kingdom is that future kingdom in Revelation 21 and what Yeshua reigns in is just a city for his priests, priestly trading program? That was a lot, but that's all I have. I'll pass it over to Noel. Uh, I can't follow up with that. That's um, <laughs> that was pretty good. With that, I, I would like to open it up a roundtable. And by the way, Michael, uh, what you just put out there was some brilliant stuff, and that's going to cause me to, you know, dig back into some things I've already looked at, and and perhaps even reevaluate some things. That was uh, excellent. So, thank you. Um, I have Ponder's question. If you want to do that to start the roundtable, let's do it. That's cool. Okay, so ponder. Um, and let's see. So I'm just going to read it. I quoted it here. So this is ponder speaking. I'm not who I was. We're not who we were. Was I still saved by the blood of the Lamb when I wasn't observing the Sabbath? Are the multitudes of believers who have called on the name of Yeshua saved? Jesus saved. Is it a requirement to call him by the Hebrew name? Is the Holy Bible truth? Do we need to read the other apocryphal writings for salvation? If believers don't know that many of their beliefs, flat earth, history, about the matrix are lies, are their names not written in the book of life? She continues, been an emotional journey today, knowing God has already done resets. It's not a stretch to conclude a final reset, which will be a final judgment on Satan and those not written. Knowing we are in a matrix filled with great deceptions is a big responsibility, but is everything a lie? I called on the name of Jesus. Am I fooling myself for not calling him Yeshua by not reading the apocryphal writings? Am I ignorant? To say I've had deep ponderings today would be an understatement. I think that's a great question that we can all try to answer. That's a that's a great question that uh, I think many people struggle with because as they go down that road of wanting to know the truth, because the truth has been implanted in them, the Ruach has moved, and they are seeking it out, wanting to find and understand the truth. They want to have the wisdom and as they are learning, they're hearing so many different things uh, from, from, I guess you would call them teachers or, or speakers, and it can be confusing and contradicting and so forth. So my journey and what I've seen, my, my, my humble opinion to that thought when people are, are struggling with it is, one thing we do know from the word is that Yeshua will be the judge, and it says he is a just judge, and he judges the heart of men. So 
if we are earnest in our prayers and we use the name Jesus, he knows that you're ignorant of knowing whatever the proper pronunciation truly is, and he knows your heart and the earnest of your heart in, in that. And that is why we see so many testimonies from people that say, oh, I, I, I prayed in the name of Jesus, and this happened. And you know, the, the, there's the, the strong, 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 over and over and over evidence that even prayer in, in that name is power. Because it's the person, the person, most people are just ignorant. They just don't know. I didn't know. And uh, to pronounce it any other way, because that's what I was taught. That's one example. And then all of the other ones mentioned, you know, the Apocrypha, you, you know, do you need to read that? Or, you know, what are the qualifications, I guess, is the, is the ultimate question for our salvation. And it really boils down to uh, the, the basics in, in essence. And you have a recognition, you know, of what this walk is or what, what, uh, the father is and you repent of what you know you're doing wrong you have a, a a belief in him and your faith is walking that out to your best knowledge and when you have this faith and this earnest love and desire for truth of the father and and to know him you will seek that out and that's the journey we're all going on down this journey seeking it out and as we walk it, as we seek it, we start walking what we learn, and we find out two years down the road what we read in Scripture or what we heard someone speaking on on Scripture we were doing, and now we're not doing it because we realized, okay, in our early journey, we would listen to a specific teacher that was teaching this, you know, whatever topic you want to want to state. And then as you learn more and mature more, you may realize that, oh, well, that person wasn't 100% on that because now you learned something else that clarifies it. Let's just say that. And so it's, it's alters, it changes, et cetera. And, and so that, that, that is the journey that we're on. But if you are within the basics and your heart is earnest in, in this, he knows. He knows. And, and that's, that get, brings great comfort to many people. And I would even go as far to say this, and, and some people might think it's heretical or whatever it may be, but just listen clearly, is that we know there are people out there that don't hear the gospel. They're in remote areas. They, don't, they, they, they never will, and they die, and it just never happened. Well, if our, if our, if our Messiah is just, he will know their heart, and, and he will judge it accordingly. And that's that's all I can say to that because I don't know I don't know what that result will be, but it, I think it would be a fairer result. Um, th so that's what I want to speak on the salvation part, and then I'll go further on others. But I'll let you guys talk next. Can I quickly add to that that when it comes, I, well, I'll add to the people who have never heard the um, the name. Jesus, Yahusha, heard about the story of the Hebrews of salvation through Israel. And clearly, if those people are living a life that is, um, I, I would say, directed towards Torah, um, that that, yeah, I mean, you've already covered that, but I, I'm going to add to that and talk about people who have grown up in an environment where they have been lied to about 
who Yahuwah is and his son Yahusha. I mean, you look at, like, say, the Middle East and different places where you, when you read the Quran, and you could see there that they are clearly lied to. Now, we've all been lied to. All of us in this room, everyone listening, we've all been lied to about a number of things, right? The globe and history and you just go, you know, viruses, you just go down the list. But, you know, it, it, we have to be careful about not, you know, coming across like, like the Gnostics where salvation comes through this, this superior knowledge. Uh, we were all in a place one time of accepting the lies that were given to us. And these lies lead to, to damnation, no doubt. It leads many people astray. But I, I, I would just add in there that I, I, I think that as a just judge, we see that in Scripture where you know, many who do know him and say, but I you know, did this and that with you, and I testified to you, and he's like, get away from me, I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. And then people who don't even know who he is or whatever, and he's like, come on in. And they're like, who are you? And he's like, well, you, you uh, visited the sick and the people in prison and fit the poor and the widows and stuff, and come on in. So I, I think we're going to be really surprised. And this is one of those issues when we're talking about our salvation. When people ask me about salvation, my answer is two things. One is work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because that's what I try to do. And secondly, recognize that Yahuwah is merciful. And he says that, you know, when we call out to him and throw down our idols and, you know, call upon him, that he will be a merciful Elohim to us. And I think in that way that we can rest in, in Yeshua or Yahusha. And somebody had commented in here in this room that, you know, we're to be as little children. I know that's one of your favorite, Rob, your uh, favorite passages. And <clears throat> what what he wants from us is to is to just accept the truth because it is. You know, we have all these questions about what, why do we have to, you know, eat clean and unclean? And, you know, that's black and white for a lot of us. But, you know, those are the arguments that people were bring forward. It's just like, it's okay if you don't understand it. Just do it. Just do it. You know, it's, it's like little children. It's like they don't, they don't understand why they can't cross the street. They don't get it. But, but we want our children to be obedient to us and not jump in front of the bus because we know it's good for them. And um, so I think that that's really, really what <clears throat> the Most High wants from us. He wants us to be children that he can mold and shape. And in time, we grow and we understand. You know, and we blossom, and it takes time. I look back at my own life just three, four years ago. I can't believe how far I've come. And um, so we have to be careful in how we judge others in the same way and recognize where somebody is now. They're not going to be there 10 years from now, maybe, you know? So I've said enough. Anyone and, else want to jump in? And ponder, like, I would ref like start rephrasing your questions because you're asking us to. to define who's saved or not and I, I would look to the son for that and read about what he says about it um we're not the judge so um and i think robin Noel did a great job on explaining that um and i just want to say that you know he he's gonna judge righteously leviticus 4 he's a he's a high priest leviticus 4 is all about unintentional sins. So if they didn't know, he's going to forgive them. 
He's going to forgive them. It's what they do know and their heart based on what they know. And like I said, we, we, we are not on that judgment seat. And only he is, and he judges righteously. Yeah, and okay. I'll, I'll, I just wanted to add with that is uh, the verse I love is uh, Matthew 18, 3. And Yeshua said, I truly, I say to you, unless you turn, turn, which we know, turn, repent, and become as little children, you shall by no means enter into the reign of the heavens. So coming to him as little children, he's using this, uh, ex this another one of his quote parables uh, in, in referencing children. We must be like children as, as innocent, as uh, pure. You know, w when, you, when you deal with a, a young child, uh, they are so innocent. I mean, they will literally be so blunt in honesty when you ask them a, a question and you just get blown away because of how honest they are and how how sweet and innocent they 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 are in their actions and we just have to let drop all these other things go and come to him with purity in that sense for seeking these things out with that type of heart go ahead me janine so i am ponderer and the question wasn't for you to decide for sure, for salvation. I just feel like the language is so strong in that I still call Jesus, Jesus. I still read my King James Bible. I still sing songs that have the name of Jesus in, which goes back for, for years, you know. I mean, we go back to the hymns or whatever. I guess I feel like you guys are trying to say, kind of, sort of, that it's almost like uh, Yul Brenner or whoever it was from... Uh, from uh, uh, the Ten Commandments saying that the name of Jesus shall be stricken from every pylon and every every book and every whatever. I mean, uh, is it that strong? I mean, I feel uncomfortable talking to you because I'm using the name of Jesus. And you, does that make you guys uncomfortable that I want to still refer to Jesus and I, I read from my King James Bible and I sing songs that praise Jesus? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, and I hope you don't feel that way from anything we've said. I mean, we use Yeshua, we talk that way, but I don't think any one of us have, has ever said to anyone that uses the name of Jesus that they're wrong, they're dumb, there's, you know, any anything negative in that sense. Uh, so I hope you don't feel that way or you have heard that from any of us. It's not that I've heard that, but I, I have a fear of it that uh, if you guys were to know that I still use the name of Jesus, would it still be acceptable? I mean, am I supposed to now be growing up in my faith? I've come a long way like you guys have and finding out about the flat earth and whatever and major milestones. And, and it brought great peace and, and relieved a lot of anxiety. But now I feel like when I'm in this group, and although I've been mostly a listener and no one has uh, said anything negative about using the name of Jesus, I feel like I know that I use the name of Jesus. And is that acceptable to you guys? or is that unacceptable i feel like like that could be unacceptable oh there's I, quite I, a few guys excuse me rob there's quite a few guys in this group who have actually posed this same thing and have also shared their stance on it who who quite like as rob said and they're still going to use jesus and i've and what's great as again as rob michael and noel have shared it's really you guys set the um Really, you set a really good example, again, praise Yah, about character and acceptance. And uh, we, we talk about it every week, bro. 
Yeah, we, we, we do. And, and, and I'll answer that question directly, uh, just so you feel at ease. Uh, I don't think you'll hear that from any, uh, any of us in condemning anyone or saying anything negative about using the name, because what, what our progression is, is that we know and we see, and I talk to people all the time that still use use the name Jesus, and I, I don't think anything differently of them. It's just like anyone who uh, reads the scriptures and you learn something new or different from what you did before, you have the choice. Well, I can, st I can still keep uh, saying that verse that way, or I can say it now this way that I've you know, found another translation, let's just say, and you like that word better, and so you start quoting it that way. But there's nothing wrong with quoting the other way as long as you fully understand what that scripture means. If you fully understand who Jesus is, the Son of the Most High Living God, and you, you understand that, and you are comfortable with using that, that name and how it's used, then, then there's nothing wrong. I'm not going to say anything to you about that. Uh, I, it's, all it's going to be is on each individual person, as you learn, okay, that's the Hebrew pronunciation. You feel maybe more connected or comfortable by using it, then you use it. And that, that's, that's where... I sit on that, and I don't. I don't see any issue with people using the name, or even, uh, you know, typing using a name, etc., like that. And I don't think you'll find that here. Uh, we're not. We're. And I think what happens is you see a lot of people out in YouTube land who are put their themselves in the seat of the judge, and they will. They will do that. They will condemn. You know, if you're not a sacred namer, or you're not doing this, you're not doing that, and it's all about what they think the scriptures uh, say, when ultimately, I know us three here, we will speak on the scriptures, but we will also tell you that this is just our opinion, this is what our research has led us to, and we encourage every single person to research yourself. You can very simply use us as a uh, another uh, opinion, another interpretation of what you're reading, and 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 bounce off of that. See where the spirit leads you in your own research, because each individual is accountable for their own soul. Do not depend on other men. Don't, don't depend on me. Don't depend on any of us. But depend on your own research and in prayer, and where the spirit leads you, going through your journey by listening to other people. Other, I mean, obviously, you want to surround yourself with. Uh, people who teach the word or talk and discuss the word that you can examine their fruit from their words, from their actions, and feel comfortable that this person is not a wolf, etc. Or uh, maybe maybe there's five or six people you may listen to and they differ in viewpoints, you know, uh, like Millennial Kingdom or Flat Earth or whatever, but they're speaking the truth and the foundation of the word of Yah. That's the core. Then outside of that, everybody's going to have their own opinions and views and, and, and how they interpret the scriptures. And as long as they're all doing that lovingly, and when they have discussions that that are different from each other, and they're doing it in love, that's brotherly love with different opinions. That's great. But if you're condemning the other person because they're te teaching this this view, or they think that this is true, but it, you think it's not, and you're going to go out there and judge them and condemn them, you're you're putting yourself at a very high risk because yeshua says if you judge others you'll be judged the same manner so you got to be very careful with that but that's my i guess overview on that uh, and i hope that makes you feel more comfortable
Okay, so let me jump in here. And uh, after Rob did a great job of making you feel comfortable, uh, you did a great job, Rob. Uh, hopefully, hopefully this this does not make you feel uncomfortable. Now, Ponder, you know that I, you know, I write a lot of papers and I'm very opinionated on things, and I try to expose hoaxes and lies and all sorts of different things. All right. Now, here's my here's my opinion on the name. I am not a I'm not a sacred namer. Uh, I thought Josh Lambert in here, he did he 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 wrote it out really well how I feel. I'll just quote what he said. He said, My brother's wife is from China. When I met her, I learned her Canadian name was Alina. When I got to know her, I wanted to learn her Chinese name given to her by her family to address her by her Chinese name. Now I call her by her name and never by her Canadian name. Now that's how I feel. So for me, it's a sign of respect. Now, let me give you an example. We have in here one of my administrators, her name is Rebecca. Well, the Hebrew name of Rebecca is Rivka. I am, my wife and I are going to have a child very soon. We expect it to be a daughter. We don't really know. We feel it will be. And if it's a daughter, um, here I am announcing the name, but we think, we, we think we're going to go with the name Rivka. Now, if somebody were to come up to my daughter and say, Rivka, what's that? Her, it's Rebecca. Why, you know, we're going to pronounce it by the English name of Rebecca. I would say, well, that's really rude. Like, her name's Rivka. It's not Rebecca. Call her by her name. And so for me, when, um, rather than, if I know, for example, um, that there are passages in Scripture where it says Yahuwah, and then it's been stripped out and put the Lord, I don't want to call him the Lord. I want to call him um, Yahuwah. And um, so, yeah, that, that's just how I feel. And um, it's a sign of respect. So I don't know if it's Yeshua. I don't know if it's Yahushua or um, um, Yahusha or Yahushua or Yeshua. I really don't know. I don't know what his name was. I don't know what they called him, but I want to try my best to pronounce names. It's just a sign of respect. It is not a judgment on anybody else who um, wants to call them by any other name. So with that being said, was there anybody else in this room who wanted to add anything? Yeah. Can you hear me? Left. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. She, didn't like, she didn't like my answer. Um, yeah, Ronnie. Can you hear me? Can, Go ahead. can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Okay. Okay. So I had um, a couple of comments. So the first one is uh, when I was reading the chapter in Hebrew, honestly, it was um, almost surreal. Um, like the names, it, it's so funny that we ended up talking about spending like 15 minutes about names. Because this was the main thing that caught my attention. Like, everything was misspelled. Um, it, it was weird. Um, so throughout the, the, the chapter, instead of um, um, uh, spelling his name Yeshua or Yoshua, as usually it appears in different Hebrew script, in that specific chapter, his name was spelled Yeshush. Weird, not even with the letter Ayn, with the letter Aleph, Yeshush. Ah. And then uh, the name of uh, Yuda uh, is um, Yuda Iscariot, that's how you say it. So his name 
they didn't even call him whatever we used to call him. They called him Yudish. Yudish. That's kind of weird. And then Peter, his name was spelled like in other chapters, they actually called him Kifa. But in this chapter, they refer to him as Piro. Piro. That, that's weird. And then uh, the translation to English, uh, of course, they ignored all of this and they knew what the names, the correct names are, so they translated it. But the, the way they confused several terms in English kind of um, um, caught my attention. So, for example, in Hebrew, we have a servant is Mesheret and um, slave is Eved or Shifcha. So there is a distinct difference between servants and slaves. Uh, and throughout the chapter, when they translated it, they didn't make that distinction. And it's a definite distinction in the Torah because slave is a person that you purchase. Unfortunately, this is one of the main things that bother me in the Torah that it was still somewhat accepted, you know, to purchase a human being. But that's what a slave is. And servant is uh, basically someone that, you know, um, like an employee. Um, so when he, when that, um, when the person that was asking Peter, uh, aren't you blah, 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 I'll get to what she's asking. So she is described as a slave. So she's a slave. She's not a, a servant. And she's asking him, aren't you one of the slaves of that person? She's using the word slave. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, and then there is another term that is used where in English they kept saying that they came with the servants to get him. Actually, the right word is not servants, it's hegmonim, which hegmon in Hebrew is uh, very high up. It's like a ruler, um, a governor, um, like someone that a minister, you know, someone that is very high up in the hierarchy, not a servant. So I don't know why that in that word hegmonim um, is used throughout the chapter very consistently in Hebrew, but in English they kept translating it to servants, which was kind of like not clear to me why why they they chose to translate it to servants. Um, so that's about the kind of like surrealism of the Hebrew. And then the second thing, Noel, you mentioned the river Kidron. So actually it's not a river, it's like a creek. Um, and it actually still exists. And I loaded a picture on the chat. I don't know if you saw it. It's I did. Today. I did. Where, is, where is that position exactly? I'm curious. Just I was so, trying to get that. Yeah, so it's kind of like to the uh, to the east of the Temple Mount. Okay. 
Yeah, I can, I can, I didn't have time to get a map and send you the map, but it's still there. The problem is that over, like in modern times, they, um, uh, they ended up trashing that creek and now they have a project of cleaning the creek, but so the, if the you, creek is still there. So we're, we're going, so uh, they will tell you that the, the upper room is in like the city of David over there. And they would have left the up, upper room, and so they would have crossed that creek then, where it's where you say it's positioned to get to the the uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, correct? I guess. Okay. I, I, need I, to, I really need to look at the map and follow the the route to tell you if it makes sense. But right now, all I heard is you saying correctly because you thought it's a river so you were looking for something substantial yeah and it's not a river it's a creek that's so why they, you, you didn't see it so you're saying that they the translation should have read creek oh absolutely it's okay. a nahal, nahal, not nahar there okay. is a difference yeah and then the last thing i wanted to share is kind of like just a something interesting that came to me uh when uh, you guys were reading, I, I just put it in the chat. So those two verses where they came to Pilate and Pilate and they say, you lay hold of him and judge him. Uh, and he said, when Pilate said, you lay hold of him and judge him according to your law. Okay. Uh, then the Yehudim said to him, it is not fitting for us to put any man to death. And, and then the next verse is um, Yeshua is saying about being sold to the Yehudim. So it, it reminded me of, of Genesis chapter 37 when the brothers are selling uh, Joseph. It just reminds, there were so many similar themes. So, and they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, the company of Ishmaelim came from Gilad with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it to Mitzrayim. And Yehuda, Yehudim, okay, and Yehuda said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and cancel his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelim and let not our hand be upon him. It's exactly the same thing of what they did to Yeshua. Instead of them doing to him what they really wanted to do to him, they actually brought him to the Gentiles, so it will be on the head of the Gentiles. So anyway, I don't know if you can see the same thing that I was seeing, but that was kind of like, it hit me like, it's, it's exactly the same um, scenario as in Genesis. Hey, thank you, um, uh, Ronit. That was I, I always, I, Ronit. I always look forward to when you um, throw in your um, your observations reading Hebrew at the end. Thank you. So, guys, this was a great, a great John episode. One, one of my favorites. Um, we have to get on to Revelation, but I really appreciate. Can I all the add and one more thing, Michael? Sure. And it's about the, and we've talked about this. He says obeys my words and if we look at the kgv in the greek it's heareth my voice and the difference is almost one seems like a command like obey me and the other says obeys me 
again, we see this active versus almost passive. So it's a subtle difference, but I think it's when we read it, it's how um, English is. So it's not really a. Um, and one of the things I notice when he says obeys my words, it's continuous because the spirit is always with us. So it isn't a question of, oh, I got to be listening um, to make sure I hear, hear him. Got to make sure, okay, is, you know, it's almost like you're with your parents and they're not around, so you don't have to hear them or obey them. But it's this other relationship, this continuous relationship which we have, which brings us back to his righteousness that he, you know, that we, we can follow to, again, once again, obey, be obedient, who obeys his words. So I just want to make that point. Yeah, I, I want to follow up on that with one last thing for me on that, is that on the, that verse 37, I don't know if anyone's caught this or thought about this, but uh, we see Pilate said to him, if so, are you king? Yeshua answered, you say that I am king. I, for this matter, I was born. So he's confirming it. He's confirming it to Pilate that I, for this matter, I was born, that I am king. Because Pilate's, Pilate's asking and he's confirming that. And because of this, I came to the world. Once again, it's confirming to do truthful witness. Now, here's, here's key. Every man who is truthful obeys my words. So, Yeshua is telling him he is the king. For the matter I was born, because of this, I came to the world. And so, since he is telling him I am king, if Pilate is going to do what is true, he's going to obey Yeshua's words. And what does Pilate do? He puts above the cross the king of the Jews, or Yahudim. So he obeys Yeshua's words and does a truthful witness. I just think that's amazing. All right, so with that, I will go ahead and cut us off from the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan. Thank you, everybody, for hanging in there with us. And I agree with Michael. This was one of my favorite sessions we've had so far in John. This was a really great discussion, uh, just a lot of you know, comments and questions, and it was all good. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and open up with the, the Hebrew Revelation or the uh, Confidential Councils of Yahuwah. So once again, Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome, everybody, and let's begin. This is chapter eight. 